This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. The title of the message today is this, is Stable People Rock. Yeah. And I'm like, where did that come from? Well, we got it. we've been in Sequoia all week, so I've spent six days in the wilderness with a whole bunch of kids. And so we got, we got back late last night, and I'm like, you know what, Lord, I want to speak something fresh. I kind of had something I wanted, to, wanted to, to preach on, but I was like, man, I'm just sitting there talking to the Lord, and, and it just comes to me, man, I really like stable people. And you're like, well, why would you think that? Well, there's so many unstable people in this world that it's just, I mean, we're surrounded by them. And that's like, well, that's not very nice to say. Listen, there's unstable people everywhere. And that's why we kind of see some of the things that we see going on in our, in our society, in our culture, in our community. And listen, what we need, what you need in your life is some stability. Amen. Come on. We got people that I mean, you never know if they're going to be happy and dancing off the rooftop one day or the next day. They're so depressed they can't even pull themselves out of bed. And listen to me. That is not the will of God for your life. And if that's you, man, we're not making fun of you. We're not trying to make you feel bad. But what I'm saying is, is stable people rock. I've had my life both ways. I've been unstable. I've been in that situation where I just, I was up one day, down the next. I was a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. But I can thank God that I can say, when I really made Jesus my Lord, when I said, Jesus, you call the shots, you start being in control of this life because I can't do it. I can tell you what, man, my life is stable and I don't feel guilty saying that. I don't feel conceited or arrogant saying that. I live a stable life because of Jesus Christ and I love my life. I love my life. And I, it's all because of Jesus. And so uh, we're going to get into this message today. I could uh, draw your attention here. If you need an outline for the message to follow along with, raise your hand. The ushers are going to get you an outline. And I also just uh, there, there's this book that's really brought me uh, forward tr- immensely in my Christian life. And it's called Growing Up Spiritually. It's from Brother Hagen. And this is in the bookstore. I highly recommend this book. It's a life-changing book for me. Because you got to realize that just because you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I mean, there's more growing to do. You aren't at the final destination yet. You've been born, but you've got some growing to do. And so this book, Growing Up Spiritually, is a life-changer. It's helped me so much. It's in the bookstore. And uh, we want to remind you that we've just got another week or so left. We're doing a summer thing in there. If you get one book, you can get another one of the equal or lesser value um, for, uh, for free. So go ahead and take or 50% off. So go ahead and take advantage of that. But we're going to talk this morning about stable people. And so the first thing I want to say is this. Now follow along because I'm going to try to do this in fast motion today. All right. I'm going to try. I'm going to speed this train up. So I want you to follow along very, very closely. The first thing I want to say about stable people is this is that they always do the same thing, but they don't get bored. Yeah. You're like, well, that sounds kind of weird. Listen to me. This is a good thing. You're like, well, that doesn't, that sounds, that doesn't sound that special. I want you to follow along here for a second. Stable people. Why are they stable? Because they're always doing the same thing. 
If they work out, they do it consistently every day. Not, well, I feel like it now, but I, they're stable. They just keep doing the same thing over and over. That's what makes people really great. That's what makes people successful is they just keep doing the basics. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. And everyone else is like, that's boring, man. I'm, I'm, I don't want to do that. I, I, I already tried that workout. Now I'm going to try the new fad. I already tried this over here. I want to jump on this train now. And listen, no wonder you're unstable. You don't stay committed to anything. No wonder you're not getting these amazing, life-changing results. So stable people, they'll just keep doing the same thing over and over. They don't get bored of it because they know that practice makes perfect. And so I was thinking of, you know, I'm a basketball fan, and I am from Hoosier land, the great state of Indiana. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I, I, I figured. Nobody cares. But anyway, so we, we, but we do have this old tall white boy named Larry Bird that uh, he was a baller back in the day. You know what I'm saying? And Larry Bird, okay, he grew up down there in this little hillbilly town called French Lick, Indiana. Now, there's this thing about Larry Bird is everyone's like, man, he just he just rolled into this. No, this dude, he would get up every morning before high school go to the gym, walk there, and shoot 500 free throws before school ever even started while everybody else was in bed. He would shoot 500 free throws every single morning while everybody else in town was asleep. And so they didn't, they didn't realize how good this guy was getting. He, he was just getting tremendously good because he nonstop practiced. And so he broke his ankle his sophomore year of high school, and everyone was like, well, this is it. His whole season was over. He couldn't play all year long. But what nobody else realized was he would crutch his way to the high school every single morning and he still shot 500 free throws on crutches every single morning. He'd shoot it, he'd crutch his way up there and get the rebound. It took twice as long, but he didn't quit doing what he always did just because something bad happened. And a lot of us are like, well, I was in the habit of reading the Bible, but then this happened and now I just, I don't, I, I haven't been doing it. Why? Why? Something bad happened, so you quit doing what made you great in the first place? You quit doing what brought you out of the pit in the first place? That doesn't make any sense. And so, Larry Bird, every day, he's crutching his way over to the high school, shooting free throws at 4 o'clock in the morning, 500. And, and by the very end of the season, his ankle was better. His team had made it to the state sectionals, which is a great big deal. So they're in the tournament, and he hasn't, nobody thinks this guy's touched a basketball in months. The coach puts him in in the fourth quarter with a few seconds left, tie ball game. He grabs a rebound and gets fouled. And everyone's like, oh, great. We're sending him to the line. This guy hasn't touched a ball in months. He never quit doing what he's always done. He got hurt. Yeah, something bad happened. But I didn't make him quit shooting free throws. Shooting free throws was second nature to this man. He never quit doing the basics. Just like a lot of us, right? I mean, something may have happened. There may have been a little hiccup, a little trip in your path there. But did you quit doing the basics? Did you quit? Well, I don't got time. That's kind of boring now. I'm in the dry season right now. Shut up. Listen to me. Did you quit? Did you quit on Jesus just because things got hard? Well, Bird, you know, he goes out there to the free throw line and everybody's like, this one's over. Boom. Nails the first one. Ah! Boom. Nails the second one. Ah! It's Everybody charges the court, and there's a newspaper article. The man that hasn't touched a ball in months wins the game. And he's sitting there like, what? I mean, I, that, that, I could have done that with my eyes closed. I, I, I never quit shooting free throws. I kept doing it. 
Even when nobody else wanted to. Even when everybody else is like, that's boring. We should work on dunking. We should work on, we should work on layups. We should work on three pointers. We should, he's like, no, I'm just going to keep doing it because consistent people, stable people will keep doing the same thing over and over. Even if everybody else is like, man, that is so boring. Listen to me. I would rather be a stable person that you consider boring, but still have my family intact 30 years from now. And that guy was still in the church every week. Man, the boring. He, he read every day to his kids. He prayed with boring. I, listen, when my kids still love the Lord and serve God and are on fire for God 20 years from now, I don't care how boring it was right now. I'll say thank you, Jesus, for stability. Amen? When my marriage is still together 50 years from now, hallelujah, I'll say, thank God that I didn't need something else to spice it up. I had Jesus and we kept it stable and steady when everybody else is like, man, those folks are boring. I don't care. We're stable. You to everybody else, you may seem like you're a boring person, but listen to me. There's nothing boring about being stable because when you are stable at doing the same thing over and over, you don't choke in the heat of battle. I'm going to say that again because that was good. You need to get this. Listen to me. When you are stable at doing the same thing over and over again, you don't choke in the heat of the battle. You don't say, oh man, I, I got to shoot a free throw. I forgot how to do that. You're not the field goal kicker that gets out there and says, oh man, which foot do I use? I, I haven't done this in a long time. You're, you're not the guy that gets out there in battle and says, I forgot how to fire a rifle. You've been doing the same thing over and over every day when everybody else said, I ain't got time for that. Or man, that is so boring. It's second nature to you when the enemy attacks because we know the enemy will attack when the devil comes as a roaring lion seeking to devour you. If you've been stable this whole time, you're not going to choke. You're not going to melt down. You're going to say, in the name of Jesus, I resist you and you are going to win the battle. I like stable people. I love them. I want to be surrounded by stable People that are willing to do the same thing every day for the glory of God. And so I know a lot of us, I hear people all the time complain about, well, I just haven't been able to get into the word lately. It's, it's one of the dry seasons, brother. You know what I'm saying? And listen to me. Yeah, we all face dry seasons. I get that. But just because you don't feel like getting in the word that day, just because you don't feel like praying, just because you don't feel like getting up and serving God, that doesn't mean that you're going to stop doing it, does it? Where are my stable people at? Shout out to those of you that are unstable. Come on, let's... Oh, my bad. Well, let's move on here. Let's look at the story of Daniel. Because if I'm going to talk about stable people, I'm going to talk about Daniel for a minute. Because Daniel was a stable man. I want you to flip over to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, but I'm telling you, if you'll continue to press into the Word of God even when you're not feeling it that day, you're going to be ready for the fight when the enemy attacks. You're going to be ready. When everybody else thought it was too boring, when everybody else thought, I'm not feeling it today, but you still made time for the Word of God. Listen, you're going to be ready when the attack comes. So Daniel chapter 6, this is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe you've heard of this before. But, you know, Daniel was a man that was 100% committed to God. He, he wasn't one day, oh, I feel like praying today. I'm going to go down there and, man, I'm going to pray down some fire. 
But then the next day, eh, I, don't, I don't feel it today. I'm just going to play Xbox for a minute here and just chill out. That wasn't Daniel. Daniel did the exact same thing every single day. And people are like, well, it, that, it becomes a ritual at that point. Not to him. Listen to Daniel. It was from the heart. Three times a day, Daniel would go home, get on his knees, open his window toward Jerusalem and pray to God. Every day, 365 days a year, Daniel would do the exact same thing. You're like, man, no variety. He did the exact same thing three times a day, opened the windows towards Jerusalem, knelt down and prayed because right then him and the Jewish people, they were being held captive, man. They were taken over by the Babylonians. They weren't even in their home. And so he wanted restoration more than anything in this world. He wanted to go home. He wanted to be reunited. And so he took this seriously. And so as, as maybe you know, Daniel, he, he was a very wise young man, very capable. And so uh, the Babylonian king of the time, uh, Darius, listen, he worked in the palace. And he did a better job than everybody else. Everything he did, he was better at. Than all of his peers. So naturally, when you're amazing, people get jealous, right? You amazing people know what I'm talking about. Everybody's jealous of you. Right? Jesse, you know. You know what it's like, man. It's, it's a struggle. Cletus, the struggle is real to be amazing. And so, here we are. But, but, but I, everybody's jealous. And they're like, well, we, we can't find any fault with him. How, we can't get this guy in trouble. He does everything by the book. He doesn't sin. He doesn't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. He doesn't do anything wrong. What in the world are we going to do? And so they're like, the only thing that we can trip him up on is this. Maybe if we can get the king to make a rule that nobody can pray to any god. Because we know, no matter what, this, this Mr. Boring here, he's going to continue to pray no matter what. He does the exact same thing every day. He is so boring. And so what we'll do is we'll get the king to make a rule that you can't pray to anybody except for the king himself. And so Darius, he's like, yeah, I'll sign that. I got this. So he signs it into law. And so what's the very first thing that Daniel does? Does he say, oh, my gosh, now I can't pray anymore. This is awful. I can't believe it. This is the worst. No. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Here's what Mr. Boring, I mean, Mr. Stability, Daniel did. Daniel 6.10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Giving thanks to his God. He did the exact same thing that he had been doing every single day for the past several years. He didn't freak out. He didn't flip out and say, oh my gosh, look at this. He just did what he'd always done. Because that's what stable people do. If you're stable and bad news comes, you don't have to, you know, blow everything up and say, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? We better pray five times harder than we've ever prayed. We better start giving everything away. We better... No. You just do what you've always done. Because you're stable. I really like stable people. I love stable people, man. I want to be surrounded by people that are stable. And, and whether the news is good that day or the news is bad, doesn't matter. They're just like the face of Chuck Norris. It doesn't change every day. The exact same thing. Happy, sad, whatever. Stable. Stable people are absolutely amazing. And so, of course, Daniel does what he's always done. He prays three times a day. Windows open towards Jerusalem. And, yes, he gets caught. 
and he gets caught. And of course, the uh, the punishment is being thrown to a den of lions and spending a night with a den of lions. And uh, I mean, I've never done that, but it sounds awful and it sounds terrible. But Daniel, he's stable. So he wasn't afraid. He's like, bring on the lions. I don't care. Go ahead. Let's do this. I'm ready. And so here's what happens. Daniel 6, verse 16. And of course, the king was sad. He liked Daniel. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. Daniel tripped out and had a meltdown. No? The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. This looked like about as bad of a situation that that we've ever heard of. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. Even the king, I mean, the king, he, he loved Daniel. So he spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment. He couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God who you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lion's? And there was no response, folks. Crickets. No, have you read this story? No, there was an answer. There was a response. Daniel answered. Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. That's good news for you today, man. If you're a stable person, you can spend a night with the lions and you're going to be just fine because God's going to come and shut those lions' mouths. But if you're an unstable person, I I mean, you probably would have been dead before you hit the ground. But here Daniel is. He says, man, God came and he shut the lions' mouths so they wouldn't hurt me. And so he says, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Listen, not a scratch was found on him. Why? For he had trusted in his God. There it is. So God can get you through anything. I mean, God can get you through the lion's den. And if you're a stable person that serves him faithfully, listen, there wasn't even a scratch on him. And you're going to tell somebody your testimony someday and they're going to say, you? I never, I could, no, I, there's no, not even any signs that you ever had that, that you have ever even been through that. You don't even have a scratch on you. Why is that? Because God has such a way of preserving you through the absolute worst moments of life to where you walk through it and it's like, hey, there's not even a scratch on you. Why is that? Because Daniel trusted in his God. Do we have anybody here today that trusts in their God? Absolutely. And so do you think Daniel was shocked that the lions didn't kill him? Did he, did he walk out of that pit like, oh my gosh, I'm alive. I'm alive. No. He's like, no, I'm, I'm fine, king. My God, he shut the lion's mouth. Everything's cool. I'm good. Why? Because the lion's den, that was just shooting free throws to Daniel. He, man, he'd been doing this every day, all day. He was doing the exact same thing that he always did, even though everybody else was like, man, that guy's boring. I don't got time for that. Daniel just kept doing what he always did because Daniel was stable and stable people. They'll just keep doing it. Even if you think they're boring, they're going to keep it up because in the heat of battle, they're not going to choke. They're not going to melt down. 
they're going to be stable and they're going to know how to fight the good fight of faith. So I love stable people. And one of the things that I love, I've done a lot of funerals over about the past five years. Melinda, I don't know. I'm thinking around 150, but I'm not sure. So of all these funerals, though, one thing that always stands out to me that I that you know makes me happy is when I see somebody that was married for a super long time. I love those those instances where you see you know I, I, maybe I didn't know the family or something, but but I mean like I've seen people married 65, 70 years, and I'm like, that's beautiful. That's stability. Can you imagine? You know they they faced difficulties. They went through some stuff, but they they didn't quit. They didn't throw it away because it was broken. They fixed it, right? And so, and so I, I see these stories of stability. So last night I'm thinking about this, and, and I'm like, I'm going to Google the couple that was married the longest. And so I have found the couple that holds the record for the longest marriage. They eventually made it 87 years. But go ahead and show me uh, that picture. This is Zelmira and Herbert Fisher. They broke the Guinness World Record for the longest marriage. They were married on May 13, 1924. Yes, for Zelmira and Herbert. In 2008, they earned the record for the longest marriage at 84 years. In 2011, Herbert passed away at 105 years old. And a few years later, in 2013, Zelmira followed, and she also lived to be 105 years. So when Herbert passed, the couple had been married for 87 years by that point in time. But before their death, they were interviewed by several different magazines about their secret to everlasting love. And so I'm reading this interview with this magazine, and they're asking them all these deep questions. And it's hilarious, because none of it is earth-shaking things like, when she says this, you do this, and you go by. All of it was just the most basic stuff you ever heard of in your life. You know, you just get over stuff, you don't take it too seriously. And I'm like, man, this is great. We need people like this. These are stable people right here. Show their wedding picture. This is them in 1924. And so, 87 years of marriage, but finally, when it came down to it, they were asked, what's the secret to staying married for 87 years? And again, a very simple answer. They said this, we are both Christians and believe in God. Marriage is a commitment to the Lord, first of all. We pray with and for each other every day. I've done this for 87 years every day. There it is. Boom. Drop that mic. Listen to me. There it is right there. And everyone is like, you pray for each other every day? Yep. 87 years every day praying with each other and for each other. And people are like, man, I mean, that's your secret? That's it. That shouldn't even be a secret. You should just do that. And it's like, that, well, that doesn't sound like, that, there's not, that's not rocket science. No, it's not. But listen to me. Stable people, they rock. They're amazing. They stay married for 87 years. Their kids still love them when they grow up. They still, they're still serving the Lord. Stable people are so amazing. And sometimes they're like, well, that guy lived a boring life. You know what? I'd rather at the end, I mean, if you can say anything about me at the end of this, I just want you to say, that was a stable man right there. He maybe never climbed Mount Everest. He never did make it on that safari. He never did this or that. But my God, was he a stable man. He never quit. 
He kept serving the Lord. He kept loving his wife. He kept raising his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. He just kept doing the same thing over. If you say that about me at my funeral, that's what I need right there. I will be a happy man. Stable people are absolutely amazing. So again, let's hear it for you stable people out there. Come on. So they'll do the same things over and over, even when you think it's boring. But the second thing I want to say is this about stable people. They don't quit, number two, when it gets tough. Stable people don't quit just because it gets tough. And I know so many people that they get a, they get a bad report. They get bad news. They just want to blow the whole thing up. And Oh, my gosh, it's over. It's over with. They want to just throw in. The, they want to quit the whole thing just because things get tough. Don't do that. Don't don't let that even be a part of your vocabulary. We are not quitters. We're stable people, man. I'll stay here in, in, in the exact same spot for the next 30 years if it means that I that my kids are going to be as stable, that my church is going to be stable, that my family that, that listen to me. You have got to have this in your life where you're committed to not doing rash stupid things just because you were in a bad mood. The worst decisions are made when somebody's in a bad mood. When they make a decision out of emotions. And I know way too many people that they, they're emotional, man. Their spirit doesn't lead them. Their emotions lead them. And so they will make major life-changing decisions based upon the mood that they are in. The problem with that is next week you're in a different mood and now you wish you hadn't made that decision, right? And so emotions are a terrible way to make your decisions, and it is an absolute sure sign of instability. And now I'd like to take my 30 seconds on my soapbox, like I do every sermon, well, most sermons, and make fun of those people that think that moving will fix all of their problems. Where are you at? Come on, you know you're here. No, but, but seriously, you know... Emotional, unstable people, and I know so many, so many. I used to be one like, man, my problem's Barstow. My problem's California. My problem is San Bernardino County, man. Meth capital, homeless. My problem is where I live. It couldn't possibly be me and that I'm an unstable fool. It's where I live. No, your problem in life is not your location of where you live. Because the problem with moving to fix your problems is you're taking you with you. You're going to be there when you get there. And if your problem is that you're unstable, the exact same thing is going to happen in the new location. Can I get an amen? I've lived in three states. I've been to Russia, Mexico, Canada, all over. I mean, a bit of Nicaragua. And, and, and I can tell you this, that everywhere I've gone in this world... People are saying the exact same thing. Every town I've lived in. There's nothing to do here. It's boring. Every town I've lived in, ever. Every country I've been to, people are saying the exact same things. The stupid government here, the president, the government. Everywhere I go. So this tells me that we don't have an issue with our geographical location we have a massive issue with unstable people that are just mad about where they live, where, they're, where they think that they're... Listen, that's not going to fix things. What's going to fix things is for you to become a stable person. 
changed my life, man. When I said, Jesus, I'm going to go ahead and just right now make you the Lord of my life. He'd been my Savior for years, but I never made him Lord of my life. I had been a, a fan of Jesus for years. Heck, I made it through Bible college. And, and I don't think that I was a disciple. Because not every Christian's a disciple. We've been through this. But when I came to the place where I said, I want to be an absolute disciple of Jesus, where I just do what He says to do. He is my Lord. If He says don't, I, I won't. If He says do, then I will. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And when I did, man, stability came into my life. And it's a beautiful thing because I don't care if it's raining outside or not. I don't care if it's snowing. Actually, that would be awesome, but it's not going to happen. So, but I don't, I don't care, you know, what is going on in this world. If you're stable, you're the exact same thing, man. Like, okay, yeah, I saw the news. That's fine. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, I, I got that report. I, I heard this. Doesn't matter to me because Jesus is Lord of my life. Stable. People are absolutely amazing people. And so, let's look at a few of Daniel's little buddies here. He's got some friends named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to try to move here, so, so stay with me, people. Daniel chapter 3. So, Daniel has these three guys that they were like him. They loved the Lord, and they were consistent about it. They weren't one day on fire, the next day ice cold. They weren't one day dancing into the house of the Lord. and They were just consistent, man. They did the exact same thing every single day. They served the Lord, they loved God, and just lived life as a stable individual. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, during this point in time, this is a little bit earlier than the lion's den instance, we have the king Nebuchadnezzar, who was also an ego freak. And so he builds this giant 90-foot by nine feet wide statue, a golden statue. And you know the story. He says, listen, every time the band plays, you've got to bow to the statue. And I picture like a mariachi band. You know what I mean? You hear the horn. And, and so everybody like starts. That's just, that's my, what I picture, but I, I don't think it was that. So anyway, so, so the band starts playing and everybody, they, you know, they, everybody bows down except for these three guys. They're like, I don't care what the law says. I'm not bowing down to that stupid statue. Not going to happen. I bow down to God Almighty and nobody else. And so, were they were they being crazy? Were they being what? No, they were just doing what they've always done. They're the exact same thing, just worshiping God, loving God, living their life just like they had always done. And so, of course, they're turned into the king. Daniel three verse fourteen. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, "Is it true?" Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. One more chance. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Woo! Sounds like somebody is setting themselves up for a big embarrassment. He's like, you, there's fire. What God can possibly overcome fire? Fire's scary, but our God created fire. He kind of knows, he can kind of get us through this right here. And so if you're an unstable person, you're like, oh my gosh, do we bow? Do we not bow? What are we going to do here? I have no idea what to do. If you're unstable, this is an absolute problem for you. If you're stable... This is just shooting free throws. 
Same thing you've done every day. No one, you're not freaking out. Same thing you've done every single day. And so, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, listen to me. You're not going to have guts to stand up like that if you're a little quitter. Moving wasn't an option. Like, well, we'll just go over to Texas. They don't do that over there. They don't make you bow down to gold statues. Well, we'll just move over to Costa Rica. They don't. No. You're here. You're now. And this problem isn't going anywhere. They were already being held against their will in captivity. So what is there to do? Well, if you're a quitter, you bow. If you're a quitter, you run. If you're a quitter, you try to find the back door. But if you're a stable person, you're like, bring on the heat, turn it up, I don't care. I'm going in there and I'm walking right back out. Do what you got to do. I am not afraid of your fire. Bring on the fire. I don't care. That's what a stable person can say. And so these guys, because they had lived a stable life, they did that. They said, bring on the heat. And so verses 19 through 27, I love this story. Who's with me this morning? Let's get this. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. You ever seen somebody like that? They're just so angry that their face is like, just, it gets distorted with rage, man. This guy was a nut. He was angry. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And I have a, I, I can't prove it, but I believe that that furnace was actually hotter than Barstow in August. And I can't prove that, but I think it was. And so, then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. I'm telling you what, man, when it's hot, you don't want to wear a turban. Take the turban off. That's going to make it worse. But here they are in the fire with their turbans and robes on, and they get shoved in there. And this isn't just fire, guys. This is heated up seven times hotter than it normally is. Verse 23. So, uh, well, verse 24. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Wait a minute, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach... Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Now, we saw a few verses ago, I think I skipped this verse, but it says the men that threw them in, the fire was so hot that they died. They fell dead just getting close to the flames, let alone getting in. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get pushed in. And within a minute, they're just walking around in there. 
Look, and, 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 but there's not three, there's four. There's a fourth one. And that fourth one, they said, this looks like a God. I believe it was Jesus in the fire with them right there. Amen? Why? Because they're stable people. Jesus likes stable people. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves to be around stable people. Why? Because he knows he can count on them to do the same thing every day. And so, listen, he calls them out of the fire, and you think they, they came crawling out? Okay, please don't hurt us now. Dude, I think they walked out of there like a boss. Like, boom. I think that they walked out of that fiery furnace like they were on top of the world. Why? Because they weren't in the fire alone. There was a fourth one in there. It was Jesus. And some of you, man, you've been in the fire for a little bit. You've been in there. But listen, you are not alone. There's a fourth one in there with you, the fourth guy. And it's Jesus. And one of my favorite parts of this story, let's skip down to the end here. Verse 27, it says, Then the high officers, or the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. How are you in fire, but it doesn't touch you? Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. Look at this. They didn't even smell of smoke. That sounds like when Daniel went through the lion's den, but didn't even have a scratch on his body. And here they are. They've literally been inside of a fire so hot that it kills people that get close to it. And they don't even smell like smoke. I was in the wilderness for six days. I've already mentioned this. <laughs> Around a campfire. I still smell like smoke to this very minute. I can't get rid of it. And I, and, and I can promise you, when I was there, I didn't actually get into the fire. I just sat around it. These guys were in the fire, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Again, God has a way of bringing you out of your situation. And people saying, I can't believe you ever even went through that. You don't even, you don't even look like, you don't even smell. Uh, there's no sign that you ever even fought that battle. Why is that? Because stable people... They just make it through, man, because they're serving God. Another verse here, Isaiah 43, 2. Mark this down. You can throw it up on the screen. But you have got to know Isaiah 43, 2. Promise me that you will know Isaiah 43, 2. It says this. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. That's a promise from God right there. Now, do you think that happens to just everybody that's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. We got our thing, you know, me and Jesus. We're, 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 we're cool. We've, we've got an understanding. No, that doesn't happen for people like that. This is talking about people that serve God. People that are stable. People that pray even though they don't feel like it. People that read the Bible even when they're going through the dry season, brother. Even people that go to church when they feel like sleep. Listen to me. If you're that person, if you are that stable person, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why is that? Because you're just doing the same thing you've always done. 
praising God, worshiping God, serving God. And listen, you don't choke when the battle comes. You don't say, oh my gosh, oh, I've heard about this. You, you hear about these things, but you never think it'll happen to you. And here I, you don't say dumb stuff like that. You fight the fight, man. And you win the battle because you're a stable person. There's, you know, I'm not a deep guy. I'm not a, a poetry type of guy. I'm not, but, but I do have a poem that I want to read to you. All right. And so I love this. It says, when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. And that was written in 1921. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stay in there, man. Keep fighting the fight of faith. Stay in there. And God is going to bring you through. You may go through the deep waters, but God's going to be with you. You're not going to drown. You may go through rivers of difficulty, but you're not going to drown. You may walk through the fire, but it's not going to consume you. You will not be burned up. Because there's a fourth man in that fire with you, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's get to the point number three here. But I, I want to say this before I get to number three. Because I'm tired, man, I'm tired of sissies. Tired of pansies. I'm tired of weak Christians. I'm tired of unstable Christians. The day of the sissy Christian is over. We need some fighters in the body of Christ. We need some fighters, man. We need some warriors. You know, me and Austin were driving through the woods the other day. Our wives were in the back seat snoring, sleeping. But we were driving through the woods. Listen, sorry, ladies. Listening to Christian radio, which sometimes I ask myself why I do that. But I was listening. And a very famous Christian song came on. And I was listening to the lyrics. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Turn anything else on in this world. I don't care if it's Snoop Dogg's rap album, his, his worship album. He made a worship album, which I don't recommend it anyway. So, but, but I'm like, turn anything on, but this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And yet there's Christians all over the world listening to this like, oh, yes, oh, I received that. Let me, I, I googled the lyrics to this pathetic song, and I'm not going to give names, and I'm not going to give song titles. But here's a few of the lyrics to this song that, that, that people were singing. And, and, and here, here's one. Here, here's, here's one of the verses. When the test comes in and the doctor says, I've only got a few months left, it's like a bitter pill I'm swallowing, I can barely take a breath, and when addiction steals my baby girl and there's nothing I can do, you're going to sing that? Man, I'd, I would rather my kids listen to any music in this world than something that tells them, yep, hey, it's coming and there's not going to be a thing you can do about it. Addiction is going to steal your children. It's going to crush your marriage. And you're going to be hopeless, helpless, and out on a limb with nothing to do. Oh, but it gets better. It gets, well, actually, a lot worse. Because verse number 3 says, When sickness takes my child away, and there's nothing I can do. Austin, what do I do? I punch the radio, man. I, I was like, I shut it off. It's like, turn that junk off Now! I would rather listen to any cussing, swearing, nasty music in this world than listen to somebody. I'm being serious. I'm being totally serious. Than to listen to some type of junk like that 
They say, it's, oh, there's, when there's nothing I can do, man. The daughter's gone, baby's gone, the, the dog done ran off, and it's all, there's nothing, there's not a thing you can do about it. Why in the world would you listen to something like that? It's the dumbest thing you could do. And then we wonder why we have a lack of stability. Because you don't know if God's the one that sent the problem or if God's the fixer of the problem. I mean, you, you don't know what to do. Listen to me. God is not the source of your problem. God's the answer to your problem. And if you don't know that, it's going to be a long, bumpy ride, man. And you're going to sing stupid things like that and think that you're being spiritual when you're being a fool. Don't do stuff like that, man. We need stable people. And so the day of Christians singing junk like that, the day of the sissy Christian has got to be over with because we've got some battles to win, people. We've got some enemies. We've got some giants. We've got some walls that need tore down. And you're not going to tear them down by singing junk like that. You're going to tear them down by singing, if God is for me, who can be against me? I am strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Point number three is this about stable people. One of my favorite things about you beautiful, stable people is that they raise awesome kids. Yes. Who wants to raise awesome kids? Parents, where are we at? I I mean, I don't care if I'm ever a millionaire, if I'm ever famous. I, I, I don't care. I want to raise some awesome kids. I want to raise kids that serve God. I want to raise kids that know how to not be an idiot. I want to raise kids that know how to hold down a job and a marriage and know how to live life the way that God intended it to. That's my goal in this life. And I know that the best way to do that, I don't, I don't have to read thousands of parenting books and what's the secret formula? What's, I mean, this is a science, but if we do it just... Listen, be a stable Christian, man. Just obey the Word of God. And your kids are going to turn out okay. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. And so, I've heard it put this way. Stay-at-home parents don't raise go-to-church kids. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's flip there because that didn't go over too well. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 9. Who's having the time of their lives today? Now listen, I know we have gone a little bit over. We're usually out of service by now. The Baptists are probably down there at, at Jenny's getting all the good tacos. Uh, they, they done beat you over there to, the, you know, to, to Rosita's. But listen to me. Listen, it's going to be okay. Give me just five more minutes here and, and we're going to learn something. All right? We're going to get there. There will still be some nachos left for you. There will still be some carne asada, dude. There will still be something there. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through through 9. Moses said, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Well, that sounds boring. Moses said, No, listen to me. Take this serious. He said, I'm going to give you some commands from the Lord today. I want you to repeat them again and again. And again, over and over to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I mean, that sounds pretty hardcore. What's he talking about? He's talking about teach your children the word of God. Day in. Day out. And I can tell you this. God wants His people to constantly speak His Word to their kids. 
God wants you to be teaching His Word to your children. Well, and this is so hard to parent. I get it, man. It's, there's some difficulties. But listen, the best thing that you can give your children is a stable environment, man. You love God. You love each other. You stay together. You worship the Lord together. You pray for each other. And 87 years later, you're in the Guinness Book of World Records loving God. And you're still together. Why? Because you're stable. You're stable. And I, can, I can't tell... I mean... There, that's the best thing my parents gave me is that they spoke the word of God into my life. They taught me the word of God. And I cannot tell you how many times I have been in a bad spot, ready to quit. And then some scripture from my childhood just comes right up out of me. You know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to do this, man. No, I'm, I'm going to come through. God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Listen. The best gift we can give our kids is to do what Moses said right here. To give them a stable foundation in the Word of God. And the last verse I want to show, just put it up on the screen, is 2 Timothy 1.5. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. This is Paul writing to a young fellow named Timothy. And Timothy, Paul thought so highly of that, I mean, this was his protege, man. He mentored him. And if, if, if you get mentored by the Apostle Paul... You must have some sort of potential because he doesn't just mentor everybody that comes up to him. And he eventually becomes the pastor of the church at Ephesus, one of the, one of the most important people in the whole New Testament. The whole early Christian church, one of the most important people is Timothy. But look what Paul says about him. 2 Timothy 1.5 As I think of your strong faith that was passed down through your family line. Wait a minute. He didn't just stumble across this. And I thank God for those in this room and those around the world that you're the first generation Christian. That's incredible. But also thank God for those that the faith has been passed down to them from their parents and grandparents. And so Paul says, as I think of your strong faith that was passed down through your family line, it began with your grandmother Lois, who passed it on to your dear mother Eunice. And it's clear that you too are following in the footsteps of their godly example. And so, what's up with Timothy here? I mean, I know this much. There's no mention of his dad made here. I know his dad was a, was a Greek and his, his mom was Jewish. But here he is, and there's, he, didn't, he didn't get any spiritual heritage from his dad. But my gosh, his mom and grandma must have been stinking spiritual warriors because they raised a young man that was one of the most important people in early Christianity. And how they do it? Just by being stable, being faithful. They just passed on the faith to their children and grandchildren. And because of it, God was able to use somebody like Timothy. And so, I'm bringing it down to this. Again, I, I know, I get it, man. We've been here for a minute. I get that. But I want you to bring it into this. You need stability in your life. And I'm not just being mean. I need stability. We need some stable people in 2018. And the great thing about stable people is they raise stable children, and stable children raise stable children after them. And before you know it, you've got people that actually serve God and follow His Word, whether society says, oh, we don't do that anymore. They still do it just because we're stable and we believe God. Amen? And so, bring it down to this. Examine your own life. We did this in communion. Is your current position in life a result of your stability or maybe it's a result of your instability 
are you where you're at right now? Are you in this place where you're at in your life? Is it a result of, well, you've just been so unstable that now you're in a mess? You're depressed? You're confused? You don't know what to do? You quit all the time? Or can you say, thank God that I was a mess, but God has finally made me stable and I can thank Him for where I am. Whatever the situation is, think about that and examine your life. But I can promise you this, stable people are amazing people. And we need you to be like that. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.